0: Hey everybody, this is Aaron of the Dan and Aaron like This is the beginning of part two of our Booker T and the MGs episode. Uh, if you haven't listened to uh, episode one, or part one, I guess, uh, you should go back and have a listen to that one first, because what I did was I uh, kind of date by date, chronologically went through the story of Booker T and the MGs, and uh, part two picks up, in nineteen seventy. Um so uh you'll have missed the best part <laughs> if you uh leave out uh all of the uh first episode and the uh, descriptions of uh of putting the band together. So uh without further ado, here is part two of the Dan and Aaron Lyka Rama, Booker T and the MGs. Alright, we're at seventy one um
1: <gasps> You know so, what they so, recorded in 1971?
0: What did they record in 1971?
1: They recorded... Well, not Cropper, but the the other three... Yeah. Recorded, because there was already a... Uh, a well, Stephen Stills was on it, too. But there was already a guitarist named Bill Withers. They played on <laughs> Just As I Am, one of the most... Solid records ever made. I love Bill Withers. Ooh. Ooh. And I love that whole album. It's Is so... that the one that's got
0: Lovely Day on it?
1: That has what? Oh, Lovely Day. No, no, no. That's on um, um uh is that on Still Bill?
0: I'm looking at I'm looking at um just as I am. No.
1: Oh no, okay, just not as on I am Still Scott. Bill
0: it's got everybody's talking it's got everybody's talking and, and and it's also got ain't no sunshine when she's gone on there okay i know which album
1: yeah yeah, yeah 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 "Ain't yeah. No sunshine yeah. grandma's hands yeah uh his uh his cover of let it be Ugh. uh yeah Aww. it's just uh i mean harlem it's just yeah ugh. that is bill withers album. is yeah. a master yep. i love bill withers so 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 much and i love that he was like you know what i don't like this business i don't like how this is going i don't like talking to these guys i think i'm gonna quit and he quit (laughs) and he just went home but he wrote so many great songs that everyone loves that he just like gets he got royalty checks yep and you know uh uh he, uh, until he died, what, nine months ago, something like that, 10 months ago. Right. He, uh, he, he was just relaxing, playing on his iPad. Right. Playing, you know, Candy Crush or whatever he was doing, just having a great time. He was like, I'm done working. I, I right. worked. I'm done. I'm good. Right. right.
0: <laughs> He's like, well, I made my money. I love time him to go. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he uh,
1: listen he to, totally pulled, listen he to the, the
0: musical equivalent of rick moranis where it's like well
1: yeah my money. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm go like, well, my life I'm done." <laughs> yeah so later i mean he didn't have the tragedy re- that moranis did where his wow. wife died he had to raise the kids but yeah he was right. still like hey this sucks i'm going bye right 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 uh bullseye with jesse thorne a few years ago maybe Longer than that, probably like eight years ago or something. Had an amazing interview with Bill Withers because he never gave interviews. The last thirty years of his life, he probably gave like two and a half interviews. Yeah. But uh, the one on Bullseye was just phenomenal. He's ugh, he's just the best guy.
0: Okay, uh, so I'm gonna have to check kinda, that I'm, out. I'm, yeah, I'm footnoting that mentally, and I'm, I'm gonna actually I'm gonna jot that down here.
1: So, so. But anyway, Indeed. they played on. They played on Just as I Am, one of the all-time perfect records. All
0: right. So, you said Bill Withers' uh interviews.
1: Yeah, on okay. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. It's a maximum fun NPR. Podcast. Okay, okay. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesse Thorne.
0: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go listen to that then. Yeah. Um we get to 1975 and um we get to a, a tragic turning point in in the the story of worker t and the mgs uh in that al jackson jr who is their drummer for um going back to 62 63 is actually murdered in his home in tennessee yeah um which is really really fucky um yeah and the, what's uh go ahead
1: i'll i'll let you tell the story but it wasn't the first time he was shot which is yeah
0: that's exactly it that year either yeah (laughs) shot twice in the same year only one had the uh lasting impact um well in the first one
1: yeah by his wife yeah no go
0: ahead by his wife shot in the chest by his wife and survives and decides not to press charges Hey, Apparently that's love. he was in the process of Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Um How much do you love me of... to the earth and to the moon and back, darling? Right. Let's right. say I shot you. Um <laughs> why do you ask? Well just hypothetically, right, if right. I were to shoot you, would you still love me? <laughs> well that's right. that's ridiculous. You're being crazy. Answer the question. <laughs> Yes. Out comes the Smith and Wesson. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Well, good, because now that I've got you on the other side of this gun... <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> it's just so funny how mundane this reads, right? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. this is from the wiki. I didn't do a lot of digging, but I did have to go find...
1: I mean, it's tragic. It's, it's terrible. It. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. horrible, horrible. But when it is presented like... Like, right oh, right
0: fact 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 yeah I right, so I don't know the details I don't know the context here I don't know if there's the possibility that maybe he was cheating on her maybe she was cheating on him maybe he was abusive I don't know I don't have those details I just have kind of the bang 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 right and um, <laughs> literally and figuratively uh, um, boo. <laughs> sorry not sorry um, so yeah he was uh, so July he is shot by his wife, Barbara Jackson, uh, he survives. She shoots him in the chest. He decides not to press charges. He was in the process of filing for divorce so he could move to Atlanta, because this is as the uh, MGs are basically kind of breaking apart. Yeah. Um, there was a there was a new, essentially kind of like wing of Stax Records that was opening down in Atlanta, Georgia. He wanted to go be part of that. Um, later on that year, all in '75. Jackson and wife Barbara are held at gunpoint in their house. Yeah. Al Jackson is killed. Barbara Jackson is able to flee. She finds the police and reports the crime. Later on that same year going into October-November um, Jackson's murderer is tracked down in Florida and then the following year uh, after some detective work it turns out that jackson's murderer turns out to be the boyfriend of al jackson's friend denise lasalle yeah so i don't know what the ties are there but that's some family extended friendship you know murder most foul type of stuff and and i i feel i feel bad for the guy
1: but at the same time that's an entire.
0: that's a whodunit mystery that I, I just did not have the mental time or bandwidth for within this podcast.
1: Yes. It it, it might not be an entire movie, but it is definitely right. um, an hour it's long episode six of, of the of Netflix a miniseries.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. All right. For sure. So
0: then, 77, uh, Willie Hall, who is uh, another Stax in house musician, um, he comes on, he becomes the new drummer um the uh the remaining three members so this is um dunn and now uh willie hall and cropper um cropper was still there in in memphis he just had his own recording studio at this point and he reforms with dunn and and this new guy willie hall uh they they try to do a uh uh a new album um they they used the old name um, uh, Universal Language. And it was not a commercial success. Um, yeah. they so didn't now we get into really the 80s. Really have any
1: more chart toppers?
0: No, no, they didn't have their own success as their band at this point. Moving forward. Yes. Um, yes. At yes. this point, at, at at this point, the. Success of Booker T and the MGs transitions into them leveraging their success as the band that they were and as the Stacks house band in order to allow them to jam with fucking everybody. Let's just say it that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I, I was trying to think of a way to compartmentalize it, but there is no way yeah i mean they they
1: just i mean god eric clapton is on there uh yep the blues brothers dan Aykroyd, john belushi yep. uh yep. um uh, uh what's her name from fleetwood mac stevie nicks Steve they nicks played on, on her yep. at least some of them played on her first solo record yep it's it, it it's it's everybody in every genre, you know, maybe not right. new wave, but every other yeah. genre. <laughs> right, right, right. And this actually Neil gets Young to that point they where we played with everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this is where we get to talk about them overlapping with Paul Schaefer, which we'll get into in a half second here. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, We're there actually, yeah, because we're at 1980.
1: Um, so So even before 80, when Ackroyd and Belushi started doing the Blues Brothers on Saturday Night Live. Right. The band leader in the 70s was one Paul Schaefer. Um, Right. Because a lot of the a lot of that group um, between SNL and second and SCTV Wearing Godspell yep. together. Gilda Radner yep. and Joe, uh, not Joe Flair, uh, Gilda Radner, um, uh, Martin Short. Anyway, it is, uh, doesn't matter. It's a gazillion right. people look up Godspell. And I think it was 1972 that they did it. It's everybody's okay. like, oh, my God, everybody was in this show. Right. Um, but so Paul Schaefer is the band leader on SNL in the 70s. And, uh, so he has, um, he has one of the, um, the, the drummer who would, was it Willie Hall? No. Shoot. Who was
0: it? What's the, what's the, what's the, uh, the date bookmark here?
1: It's he, oh, 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 it was, um. It was Steve Jordan, uh, played in the SNL band, and he would later play drums for the for Booker D and the NG starting in 94, going to 2002. Steve Jordan was the drummer. Steve Jordan he starts
0: with the SNL band
1: was in the SNL band with uh, with Paul Schaefer. And then right. when, when Letterman got late night in 82, Paul Schaefer had the world's most dangerous band, and on drums yep. was Steve Jordan. Okay. And then he left after a couple years and he brought in Anton fig who stayed with them until Dave retired in 2015. Um,
0: yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, 20 something like that. Yeah.
1: Coincidentally, Anton Figg also played drums when Paul Schaefer brought the band over and they played with Booker T and all the things for some award shows and Hall of Fame yep. stuff and all that. But uh, but yeah, there was that little that little note of crossover where uh, Paul Schaefer and Steve Jordan were on the SNL band together. And they started playing with the... They were they played for the Blues Brothers when that was invented. And then when the right. Blues Brothers became the movie, uh, the MGs played with them. Right.
0: And um, I actually... I, I had to go look this up because I was curious about it. Um, because the, the thing I was trying to remember is uh, who was on drums. So we'll get to this we'll we'll get to this but um at the (laughs) this is so so stupid but it's so awesome at the same time so i don't care um (laughs) at the end of blues brothers 2000 in 1998 the blues brothers face off against the louisiana gator boys (laughs) that the Um, the louisiana gator boys is basically ackroyd and and company saying we want to get everybody else that we didn't get into blues brothers or on film up to this point in blues brothers, 2000, that is an accomplished <laughs> blues musician into a blues band. And so it's a blues super group created specifically for the film. They exist once in the movie and then they don't exist outside of it. Yeah. But I wanted to go look up, um, who did drums. Cause I wanted to see if it was any of the folks that you mentioned, but it's not, it's actually, uh, Jack Dejeanette. Um, Mm. Which uh, is another one where I'm assuming that if I click on the wiki link here. Yeah, of course. Right. I just opened it up and yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on him. But what does it say at the top? Uh, given his extensive work as leader and sideman for musicians, including Charles Lloyd, Eddie, Freddie Hubbard, Keith Jarrett, Bill Evans, John Abercrombie, Alice Coltrane, Sonny Rollins, Miles Davis, Joe Henderson, Michael Becker, Herbie Hancock, and John Schofield. So, So another ridiculously famous person. Yeah. Right. And he's just one of many people that's up on the dais for this, this, uh, ridiculous scene at the end of the movie. Anyway, anyway, um. So let me back up to
1: Yeah. Anyway, so we're okay, back see, in seventy-seven, eighty. Yeah. Right. Before we had to go on the big long tangent. Yeah. Because right. I'm so, a, I'm a I'm a Letterman fanatic. I'm a Letterman nut. And I was like, ooh, I get to talk right. about Paul Schaefer. <laughs> ooh, I got yeah, to talk yeah. about Yeah,
0: Yeah, and No, and and that's actually gonna continue because because we're gonna do a little bit more on Paul Schaefer as well, and and on the SNL band. Um so there's there's I think it's a case of all roads lead to Rome with, uh, the creation of the blues brothers itself. Right. Because, um, the way that Steve Cropper tells the story, so you've got that, you've got your side that you described where Ackroyd's obviously part of that and, and he's seeing Schaefer, He's part of that group. Um, the, the way that Cropper tells it is he, he talks about how him and John Belushi had rubbed elbows at a Paul McCartney concert. Um, around 78, uh, 77, something like that. Um, the two of them had talked and, you know, he had talked about his, uh, years as being Steve Cropper of Booker T and the MGs. Um, and that Belushi's other half of the idea was, you know, well, let's see if we can get, you know, Steve Cropper, Duck Dunn and Willie Hall up here. We'll have him play with, uh, some of the SNL band. So that, Band mm. that backs up the Blues Brothers during the original recordings is half and half Booker T and the MGs, half and half the SNL studio band,
1: yeah. right? Yeah.
0: Of which Paul Schaefer is part of that group.
1: He's the right? leader. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, Cropper says, uh, uh, "All right, well, John, let's let's go through some hits and let's let's uh, let's find a song that you guys uh, can." Something that really gels with you guys. So Belushi and Akroid are out there and they're kind of listening and they're they're singing to various hits. Uh, but it isn't until they come, it isn't until they start playing Soul Man that, like, Cropper describes it. He says, Yeah, we started into Soul Man and we decided to play a little bit up tempo. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, Belushi starts dancing and hmm. Accurate starts into this crazy leg thing. Yeah. And that was the point where we kind of looked at each other and said, Let's do this, let's do Soul Man. Um, and then the only footnote that Cropper included is he said we had to drop it down a few tones so that John could actually sing in a pitch that he could hit.
1: He said otherwise
0: that was the, that was kind of the soul man was what locked it in. Um, and then from there they did hold on, I'm coming, which is another Sam and Dave. Um, and then that leads into them picking and choosing hits right from 62 to 75, uh, from, the, the soul era from, from the, um, Detroit, uh, the Detroit blues, um, and, and deciding what they wanted to do when they did blues brothers. And so that blues brothers band is then, um,
1: and a lot of Chicago stuff
0: and Chicago stuff. Right. Cause yeah. Um, it's, uh, that, that blues brothers band, it's half Booker T and the MGs half SNL, uh, Paul Schaefer leading it but then when they do the movie Paul Schaefer cannot be in the movie because of a contractual issue um, right so and Steve that's Jordan why he does not end up in 1980.
1: oh yeah. really yeah, I think okay. it was I think it was because they were on SNL uh right. it, it might have been a Lauren Michaels contract kind of a thing yeah, um, yeah that makes <clears> sense. but yeah it, uh, yeah Paul Schaefer and Steve Jordan were replaced by other musicians right. in the movie,
0: right? So then we get to the movie, right? So Blues Brothers as uh, as a gag, as a a sketch that kind of shows up and percolates in SNL is its own thing, and it's got that 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 reduced form factor band uh, that half of which is uh, Booker T and the MGs. But then for the movie, the band gets bigger, and and the band um, is now. Uh, at the time, at 1980, it is now a supergroup that is a hybrid of Memphis soul and kind of the Detroit um, uh, the Detroit big band feel, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So you've got Dunn, Hall, and Cropper are bringing the Memphis soul, right? They're they're Booker T and the MGs. And then you got Tom Marini, Tom Malone, and Alan Rubin, sax and trumpets, which are from Blood, Sweat, and Tears, who did Spinning Wheel. And yeah. They, they're bringing the brass sound. And then you got Matt Guitar Murphy, uh, who's a veteran blues guitarist by that point. And then yeah. Paul Schaefer is credited as getting the songs together. He's in the credits. He just doesn't appear on screen.
1: Yeah. And, uh, so and he
0: was just not the keyboardist. He
1: probably did a lot of arranging. He's a really good yeah. arranger. And uh, he played on the right. album, the uh, briefcase for of yep. blues album. He plays on it.
0: Yeah, he's on the album, just, he's not the in so the it's he's just not credited. So it's probably similar arrangements. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then Blues Brothers is like, it's this interesting watermark as a movie because it. it I, You know, it equal parts excites uh, the world about blues and soul again, uh, which is, you know, 20 years out at that point from, from the sixties, uh, uh, Stacks craze. Uh, but at the same time, in my humble opinion, it serves as this beautiful watermark of, um, here are all of these guys on film doing a thing that they all did incredibly well. And yeah. if you watch it for the blues brothers, it's great. It's a funny movie. If you watch it for the band and you look at the way that the guys look at each other when they're playing there's a whole nother story being told in terms of the way that they gel with each other as a musical group, because as much as they're great kind of background kind of wink and a grin actors that back up Belushi and Ackroyd, these guys are also amazingly accomplished musicians. And when they come together as a group and you hear them look at each other and go, you want to do this in KG? Yeah. You want to do KG? You want to do four, four? boom 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 and they're off yeah and it's amazing yeah and and at that point all they're doing is they're setting a landscape for for belushi and Aykroyd to deliver uh these great vocals but then then also this this great you know kind of comic and music delivery of these characters and it's just it's such a great movie it's 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 a goofy movie uh, but it's it's a watermark for blues and soul, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it does, you know, it gets some flack for, I mean, it, it started out as Royd's pet project. He was like, oh, God, I just love this music. And then that, mm-hmm. because of Paul Schaefer's connections and the members of the band's connections, It, oh, well, right. I know this guy and they know this guy and we know this guy. We can do right. a whole thing together. Um, yeah. And it it gets flack for being, uh, a very white guy (laughs) covering generally black music. Um, but like you said, 90% of the people playing it are the original people.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: and you can ignore the vocals for a second and just, like you said, like, I really like what you said a minute ago about when you look at the way that you know if, if you ignore Ackroyd and Belushi and you look at right Dunn and Jones and all those guys and they're like hey yeah remember this one this was a good one yeah like yeah there's there you know, there's history there and there's the yeah. You know, it's guys who've been working together for 20 years. You know, there's a lot of love there.
0: Yeah, and the the other thing that I think is really sweet about the Blues Brothers as a movie is that there's this this bit of um, storytelling in the movie which closely parallels what all of these uh, artists at this point have been through in real life which is the bunch yeah. of them looking at each other and going, well, how the hell are we going to get paid? Well, fuck, we got to get out of town if we're not going to get paid, you
1: know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and so and, yeah, obviously it's and kind coming of played up, with, up for comedic and, and, effect,
1: but. And pulling a song out of your ass at the last second.
0: Right. Right. We're and, where? Well, hell, why not? You know, we could play this.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and to go back to the, the, the white guy singing, uh, criticism in the movie at least, most of the singing is done by I don't know Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, James Brown, yeah. <laughs> like, Oh yeah, yeah, Priya. Yeah. It's they we got it covered by yeah, oh yeah, perfectly, perfectly fine singers. Yeah. They, yeah. they'll do in a pinch. <laughs> the greatest Fucking, front people of all time, right?
0: Fucking Cab Calloway, Cab Calloway, getting out there front God. and center. Yeah, oh, and it's man. like he he. He Mr. Plays, Jazz. He plays their su- yeah, he plays their surrogate father at the beginning. The guy that kind of essentially yeah. raised them in the missionary. And then later on, I love his
1: sequence the movie, at the end. He saves it's them. So, oh, my
0: God, it's so good.
1: It's just magical. <laughs> You're like, they're oh, like you so know good. what? Yeah, screw it. It's magic. Yeah, Who cares? Yeah, Everyone's yeah, in a white yeah, tuxedo s- now. Everyone's. Sparkling exactly. Out. Who cares? Yes. yes just yes, just yes. shut up and enjoy yeah. it. It's the 30s. again. Right
0: exactly right right oh god it's so good um all right but i i could do like 10 more paragraphs on on blues brothers but i'm not going to um 86 um there has to be the house band for atlantic records 40th anniversary celebration and this is another paul schaefer moment yeah Uh, paul schaefer now as part of the world's most dangerous band uh who was there to play with the that band at the time um the two bands gel essentially uh, after the atlantic records 40th and uh they tour as a supergroup uh through the UK uh during the early 90s um and i've got this footnote here that says through this era a variety of folks subbing for the core four mgs i'm not writing them all down <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> because it's
0: absolutely true it's like at this point from 1986 onwards the concept of booker t and the mgs is just a concept of four guys right right, right. guitar bass drums organ it's a rhythm and section. so you've yeah. got Right, and you've got rotating people that come in and out of each one of those positions. And for I mean, the most that's, part, it remains. That's yeah, how they
1: ahead. started. That was their yeah. whole gig for what thirty years right. was. Right. Their session guys. We're here in the studio. Right. We're session guys. All sub yeah. in today. Hey, I gotta. I gotta go out of town next week. Can you cover? Cool. Got yep. It. <laughs>
0: yeah. Exactly. And and that's they did that then. That was their. That's, that's them riding the, the Booker T legacy then through the nineties and into the two thousands, um, 92 inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame by Jim Stewart of Stax records,
1: who then gets
0: inducted the year, the next year, um, they are the, they were the house band, um, for a, a big Bob Dylan thing at Madison square garden. Right. The Same year, 92. Yep. And then you've got this note here in 94, uh, recorded a new album. That's the way it should be. Why don't you tell me about that one? Because I didn't write this one down. Oh,
1: The the note I added there was just that from that point on to tie it back to Paul Schaefer. That's where Steve Jordan is the drummer for the next eight or ten years.
0: Okay. All right. All right. So yeah, at that point,
1: original late night drummer and the SNL drummer in the seven, in at least the late seventies. I think he might've come on in like 77 or something. All
0: right. So part of, yeah, part of SNL, at least through the the mid late seventies. Okay. Um, Yeah. And then at some point, at some point.
1: I should point, this is a great time for me to just cut out if you ever get me and my brother and my dad in a room, (laughs) this is all you hear. Right. Oh yeah. Because the two of them are, are, they play guitar. I play drums. We all have big, stupid record collections. And we're like, oh yeah, well, you know, so-and-so was the producer on this. And he started out as this guy over here who played with her. And then they went and everyone else get sick of us they see us start and within 20 <laughs> seconds everyone else leaves the room and they're like oh god we here gotta we go. go
0: yeah right <laughs> i gotta leave
1: <laughs> the grub idiots are at yeah. it again <laughs> the trivia monsters yeah uh
0: well i you know i am gonna i'm gonna warm fuzzy you here and i'm just gonna say that uh i i so enjoyed those sessions over at y'all's house so, oh uh, i love it you know it it wasn't lost on everybody. I, I would sit there with with bated breath and listen. And I mean, I, I remember at a certain point taking notes on like a sketch pad as you guys would like, you know, dole this stuff out and then go <laughs> dig it up later. And I'd be like, oh, I should know this one, and I should know this one. And okay, they're mentioning this guy, you know, little nerdy Fletch over there taking notes. Like, how can I be as cool as these guys?
1: You oh know. well, the three of us uh, do it too. well now it's yeah. now I'm telling. My, I'm the one. Uh, educating my dad about the radio shows that were on when he was born. I'm like, oh, and you should listen to this Uh, one. Oh, yeah, okay. uh, (laughs) Well,
0: that's cool. That is pretty neat, though. It's like, hey, contemporary to When You Were Alive, this shit was going on. Yeah, alright. So... Uh, let's see here you got that the the paul uh paul schaefer anton fig steve jordan steps in as uh the mg's drums so at that point yeah uh, this is that was the other thing i was going to mention is at some point uh early mid-80s uh booker t jones kinds of packs it up in california says this ain't working out he moves back to the south i don't know if he moves back to memphis but he moves back to the south and he basically says um my life is with booker t and the MGs. So i just need to kind of rejoin the band and, and, and make this part of who I am. oh
1: um,
0: 95, they become the house band for the rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. Um, 98 blues brothers, 2000 Paul finally gets to jam with them.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and this is where I pulled up the Louisiana Gator boys. Cause we're going to go through the Louisiana, Louisiana Gator boys, uh roster real quick all right? all right and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna click on any one of these links but i'm just gonna list them off and i i, I know there's gonna be moments where you go oh my god so that's why i'm doing it mm.
1: um yeah i never Jeff did see Skunk that once Baxter. So I don't know.
0: it's yeah, okay so i'm gonna sell you on it real quick okay blues brothers 2000 exists solely for the purpose of allowing dan Aykroyd to be elwood j blues one more time
1: Okay, I, I figured to, that.
0: And to live out this narrative universe that has been created around Jake and Elwood Blues. That's basically it. It's like all of the silly loose threads from the first movie are either resolved or pulled on to greater misfortune in the second movie. So it's just
1: by that point, him and John Goodman going, you know who we never met? <laughs> Let's go meet John. Yeah, them. that's
0: exactly it. That's exactly it it'd be it's cool to hang out with BB King for a minute <laughs> right that's exactly it there's there's um, a very loose narrative thread uh, by the end of the movie it's it's kind of lost as to why they're going to New Orleans but they are um, there's there's like no reason to pay attention to the story. The story's sole purpose is to get them to go meet. Aretha Franklin, who is now much older and can belt all of respect from top to bottom, um, you know, to to go meet Wilson Pickett, to go meet Junior Wells. uh, You know, they hang out with uh, Rika Badu. Nice. My favorite moment, my favorite moment in the movie is when they blow off Blues Traveler. (laughs) Because even... Even when I was even in the nineties, I was like, I don't know about you guys, Blues Traveler. <laughs> like they weren't bad, but they just didn't have the same feel. Yeah. And so it was a lot I didn't cleaner. feel that bad about it. Yeah, I didn't feel that bad about it when they they peel off into the sunset and they leave Blues Traveler playing to nobody. Um,
1: and but that was like at the height the of the popularity too, probably. Yeah,
0: exactly. Right. They're like, Okay, yeah, we'll listen and then uh, Elwood walks back to the car and he's like, "Hit it." I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, they arrive in Louisiana. They, they I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna try and explain the story because it's such a loose and flimsy story that solely exists to get them to this point in the film. And they have to compete. The Blues Brothers band has to compete against the Louisiana Gator Boys, and it is Jeff Skunk Baxter on guitar,
1: okay.
0: Gary Bonds on vocals. Eric Clapton on vocals and guitar. Oh, God. Clarence, Clarence Clemens on vocals, tenor, saxophone, and tambourine. Nice. Uh, Jack, Jack DeJohnette, who we just talked about a minute ago on drums. Okay. Bo Diddley on vocals and guitar. Nice. John, John Faddis on trumpet. Yeah. Isaac Hayes on vocals.
1: There you go. D-
0: Dr. John doing vocals and piano. All right. um, the the set leader for the louisiana gator boys is bb king uh, yeah. um, okay
1: mr yeah, uh, charlie
0: yeah. muscle white yep charlie Musselwhite white is vocals and harmonica okay um billy preston is Ooh. vocals and synth oh i love yep. him and then we got lou Rawls on vocals again beautiful um josh Redman,
1: also known as uh, the, uh, the voice of garfield singing Oh, that's in, right! Uh, the Halloween special.
0: I remember you pointing that out. It was, it, it was either a Rama, or that's one of those random facts that you pointed out to me years ago and it just stuck in my head forever. Yeah, um,
1: That's the best Halloween special. Got, is the Garfield one. It's scary as I'll hell. I'll tell you,
0: the, the one that freaks me out is the Garfield 9 Live special. That, that one is was really weird one. because it got a little bit... It got existential. It's like upsetting. It makes you think about yeah yeah as a kid it's like they're like what what things could happen if you come back as another version of it that one fucked me up that's on anyway, one of the um, platforms
1: now maybe disney plus
0: i'll have to go dig that up Ugh. um anyway right. paul Sh- paul schaefer obviously yeah coco taylor on vocals Ooh. i don't great. know why he's here but travis tritt was there
1: okay um, no he's he's got some yeah. legitimacy yeah he's legit
0: yeah yeah Jimmy Vaughn on vocals and guitar. Okay. Um, Grover Washington Jr. Ooh. on baritone saxophone.
1: Yeah, he's good.
0: Um, and then we rounded out with Willie Weeks on bass guitar. Yeah. And Steve Winwood on vocals and organ.
1: Ooh. Steve Winwood, of all of the, for lack of a better word, blue eyed soul singers. Right. All of those, especially British guys, who really, really, really wanted to sing like, like uh, Black Americans. Steve Winwood yeah. was about the only one who came close.
0: Okay. Hmm. I did not know that. That's cool. He did. Um, All right. Well. Oh, what was that? Oh, look at that. that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I can't remember the name of of his single. I should point out that it's 12:40 in in the morning now. But I know, uh, we're at
0: two and a half hours into this thing. He did the.
1: <laughs> it's so got my feet on the floor. Got four hours, and I gotta go more. Da, 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 right. Got nothing to do. The bass is hot. So glad you made right. it. So, so glad, glad made you made it. it. You gotta. That's it. Give me Give some love. Give yeah, me some love, okay. in that's his song. I had to I had to go through a whole verse <laughs> to right, remember the right. name oh, of it. Oh,
0: but that song is so
1: good. Yeah, that's Steven the Woods. Doing Woo!
0: Oh, that shivers down my spine thinking about that. Yeah. Give me some love give me some love yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, he's a, um, he's a goodie. All
0: right. So yeah, um he's in there and, and that's that's actually now quite entertaining now because that's that's one of the first songs in the in the 80s Blues Brothers movie. So I think that's part of the reason that they probably had him show oh, up sure. in 2000 was you know I feel like Blues Brothers 2000 was basically Aykroyd saying if we either played your music or you were there at the time we want you in the movie and you know and he did it and and it's just fantastic for that because uh, so many of those folks that are in that last scene of the movie uh, have now either passed on or they're you know far past the day of the, the days of playing in bands and and that's that's the reason to watch that movie is is that that giant jam session at the end where they all play how blue can
1: you get that's mm. really cool.
0: Mm-hmm. cool all right um so this 98 2002 they do backups on the neil young album are you passionate uh 2004 rolling stone ranks them as number 93 in the 100 greatest artists of all time which is a horrible mistake in my uh
1: I could see nine or three. Yeah,
0: yeah, but not 93. They need to be somewhere near the fucking top. I mean, if they're being outranked, if they're being outranked by like, if if it's 100 greatest artists of all times and it's like the guy that invented music followed by like (laughs) Beethoven followed (laughs) by Booker T and the MGs, I'm okay with that. Like if they were number three, behind like i don't know you know bach beethoven and onga bunga who you know banged a mallet against a stone i'd be fine with that but not 93 that's not cool i don't, yeah, you know, can
1: I don't do do that. better do better yeah, rolling stone um, 20 years ago 15 yeah, Jesus, years ago whatever
0: uh, right how could you anyway um 2007 they get their grammy lifetime achievement award good um And then, uh, 2012, uh, Donald Duck Dunn passes on, uh, at this point, it's still. Donald Duck Dunn uh, died. Yeah. Donald Duck Dunn, Dunn died. Um, 2017 and onward, you still got, um, Steve Cropper and Booker T. Jones get together and, um, they still perform, uh, as a matter of fact, the. Tiny Desk Concert that I had linked was from uh, 2017. Mm. If, if we can include that link.
1: Oh, um, I didn't know they did yeah. one.
0: Yeah, it's it's Booker T Jones alone. Out. Yeah, those, but are, it's, those um, are hit and
1: miss. But those Tiny Desk Concerts, that is the where I found out um, uh, how much I love Lizzo was because I had, I'd only heard one song and then I heard a couple more. I was like, oh, my God,
0: this lady's amazing. Yeah, I, we listened to, um, or no, yeah, no, we listened to some of her songs because she came up in popularity a few years back and it was, she came up in popularity around the exact same time that we ended up with our, uh, our, um, Apple HomePod. And so we would, we would yell at Siri to, uh, play Lizzo and, Mm. uh, we'd kind of dance around the kitchen like idiots to it. it Uh, If we dance around like idiots to a song, it means that we enjoyed it in this house. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. She uh, rules.
0: And that's, and there is no end. That's the fun thing about this uh, uh, episode is that there is no end to the story of Booker T and the MGs because they're still going. Cropper's still alive. Booker T Jones is still alive. Um, I'm not sure about Willie Hall. Dunn is passed on. Um, Steve Jackson, I believe, or Steve Jordan, I'm sorry. Steve Jordan is, I believe, is still alive. Um, And the cool thing is that it's an idea. So... You can have as long as you got like one of the four members in there. Anybody can be Booker T. In That's the true.
1: That's true. It's like how uh, I think at one point there there were definitely two. There might have been three bands touring as the Dead Kennedys.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Right. It's like the Avengers, East Coast and West Coast. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not a band. It's an ideal. <laughs> right. It stands for something. Yeah. All right. So that's it. That's, that's my two hour and 30 minute episode on Booker T and the MGs. But it had to be this long because I knew you and I were going to go down. And that's the thing is like every one of these artists that you and I have talked about, there is an entire full additional episode to be done on each one. Yeah. I mean,
1: every name that we've said with the exception of yours and mine, is a legend yeah. in itself with a right. whole, like you said, a whole two hour episode just about each person.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that's amazing about these guys is that because they were where they were at that point in time in the world, yeah, they were at this nexus point of so much great rock and roll and so much great soul. And they rubbed elbows with so many great artists, Yeah. and yet they were never—they uh, were never um, actively interested in being the next, you know, like Michael Jackson or Madonna or or Taylor Swift. Yeah. They were like they always perpetually in all of the interviews with each one of them. In all of the conversations, uh, in all of the clips, they all, four of them, somehow bizarrely remained humble and grounded as to what they were doing and why they were doing it. Yeah. And you can feel it in their music. You really because can. Because they, they, you can tell that when four people got together and branded themselves as Booker T and the MGs at, at whatever point in time you throw the dart at the dartboard about those four people really fucking knew how to play music <laughs> and they knew how to gel together as a group. You know, they knew how to do four hearts merged as one. Um, and um, that I think is why they were so uh, positively pervasive uh, through the 60 years of music they they've been part of. Yeah. Um, yeah, is for because sure. Because people would listen to them and look at them and go, these are humble guys and I respect them for the fact that they are humble guys. But oh my God, when you put them in front of a set of instruments, listen to what comes out. Yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I forget if I mentioned it on the last episode or not, but uh, uh, recently... Um, Oh my God, guy who broke the sound barrier, Chuck Yeager, Chuck Yeager died recently, and you and I were talking on the phone. I don't know if it was something that we recorded or not, but, uh, I heard an interview with him and it's that same sort of thing where you have someone who is the absolute expert in their field, the absolute master of their area. And they're also humble and down to earth and, and cool. Yep. And it's yep. like it's just and perfect. You're like, yes, I want to be this person. <laughs> that's that's who right. That's the type of person I want to be. The master of my craft and also not a dickhead about it. <laughs> right.
0: I want to be amazing, but in the process of being amazing, I want to make sure that I try and remain humble about
1: it. Yeah. Ugh Yeah. It's the best. And yep. I mean Booker T and the MGs, they're the best. And they're they're right up there. They're one of those nodes of of American mid century music where everyone passed through, just like the Funk Brothers, and just like the Muscles yeah. Shoals uh band, right. and just like the Wrecking Crew in LA, they did more rock stuff. Yeah. But uh it's just everyone passed through there through their studios and they are on everybody's record. <laughs> unless it's yeah. Yeah. unless it's James Brown and the JBs or Right. You know, a rock band where it's it's oh no, it's these four guys. If it is right. a well, it's, singer, it's, yeah. then they're on their record.
0: Right. It's everybody and their brother that came out of that Memphis soul scene has got Booker T and the MGs in the background. And then later on, as they become more popular, uh, that um, Corona of influence, that sphere of they're on a record, you know, it sl- starts to get larger and larger and larger until they're on Detroit albums and until they're on, you know, these big band albums. And you know, the Blues Brothers are probably the one where, you know, with the exception of Green Onions, obviously, they, they kind of explode in terms of now they can play with everybody.
1: Um, Yeah, everyone, um, the the two or three that they missed on the first lap, now they can pick up, pick up that spare.
0: Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, on success seven or eight, uh, even the hardest (laughs) convinced folks are like, I I, I guess they're here to stay. (laughs) Yeah, all
1: right. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right, well. That was That's fabulous. my episode
0: on Booker T and the MGs. Oh, yeah. I knew
1: Appreciate it was going to be a long one. I'm so happy that, yeah. that you picked those guys.
0: Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm so glad you came along for the ride. And I'm also so glad that you were ready uh, in the wings with uh, your knowledge base on the stuff that I didn't know. Because um, this... I love this group. Uh, I love uh, a lot of the folks that they've played with. But I know the group itself and i don't know uh many of their offshoots quite as well as i probably should but now that i've finished reading through this and now that you and i have finished talking about it i'm now looking at this volume of folks that recorded uh this this giant pile this list of folks that recorded at stacks in the 60s and i'm like shit, I have to go back and listen to all of them now because those are by proxy Booker T and the MGs recordings.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's funny because I'm I'm actually the 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 inverse because for the most part, their records are a blind spot for me. I know the singles, but the uh, the the albums, not so much, but all. But I'm like, oh, yeah, they play with this and this and this and this and this and this. And and I know all those. But yeah, I need to go back and, and listen to their records. Yeah. For sure, because I mean, well, everything uh, I've ever my, heard that uh, that I know it's them, I've completely loved. So, yeah, gee, I wonder if there's so other stuff I would also like.
0: My closing anecdote about Booker T and the MGS is that the reason that I came to really love them is because um, I um, I would put them on while I was in college uh, doing my engineering degree. Uh, not not so you know, English degree is is kind of a. Um, separate memory at this point, but um, engineering degree, I, I remember very distinctly needing um, uh, ways to zen out uh, while I was um, sitting there with calculus 2 and calculus 3 complex integration formulas in front of me. And so I would I would listen to techno for a little bit, but then at a certain point, the techno, it's like, okay, you're just drilling a hole in the side of my head. I, I need something else. And um, I, I remember looking up green onions because i remembered that it was instrumental so i didn't have to listen to anybody talking to me as i was trying to do complex calculations yeah yeah and then i was like well okay green onions is fantastic it's exactly as, as awesome as i remember from the sandlot but i wonder what else they do and then from there i went out and I picked up a greatest hit cd because this is back early 2000 so everything was still cds um and then that was kind of it, yeah, you know, after the greatest hit CD, I was okay, well now I, now I need to uh, own every album, right? Yeah. <laughs> and this is back when you and I used to haunt Tower Records. So, yeah. you know, it was uh, every domestic album, every import album, is just album after album. And they're, and they're great because each song, each song sounds similar. They're also a little different. The, the fun thing about listening to these piles of Booker T and the MG albums is hearing the points where they decided to make the little changes, the little differences to make, um, you know, uh, soul limbo, not sound like soul dressing, you know? Um, (laughs) Right. And, and, and and that's really what sells it. And there's also like one of my absolute favorite things is that they do, um, they do two versions of time is tight. They have a version of time is tight Hmm. that is, um, They have a version of Time Is Tight that is um, very clean, very uniform in tempo, and they just deliver it. And that's the version of Time Is Tight that's uh, used in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas,
1: Um,
0: the movie, the Johnny Depp movie. But then they have this version of Time Is Tight that was on this European import CD, and I had to go dig it up to to find it uh, while I was doing this, while I was writing up the notes for this uh, show, um, where they started just with the organ and the organ sounds like it's a Baptist church organ hmm. and they started really slow and it's just Booker T. Jones playing the organ and he's playing it like he's playing everybody into the church at the beginning of the session and right at the end of playing the first verse you hear Cropper come in with and they picked up the and they double the pace. They double the pace and the the whole song picked the whole song ends up with an entirely separate momentum because instead of delivering it at that slightly fast 4/4 time that Booker T and the MGs does all of their songs in because they broke it up with this very soulful organ intro at the beginning and then they just they like fall into this double time version of the song after the organ intro it gives the entire song a completely separate inertia and i remember listening to that a few years ago and finding it and just like an idiot openly weeping in the car as i listened to it i was like this is so good i didn't even know this was out there this is beautiful (laughs) (laughs) it just caught me by surprise it was like one of those moments where music just you know plucks a part of your emotions where you weren't even aware that you you know they were there and it was just it's so good it's so good uh i'll see if i can find those two different versions of time is tight and i'll uh, you can link them in the youtube and you'll see what i'm talking about or or, or, sorry you can link the youtube links in, in uh when when you put up the podcast perfect perfect cool all right, that's it. I've run out of stuff to talk about. Hooray!
1: <laughs> I mean, oh. Hooray! Oh. No, that's awesome. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, well, this has been the Dan and Aaron Laikorama. You want to sing us out?
1: Um, oh, I can't think of which of their songs I want to do. Oh, they're all so oh, good. No. They're all good. They're all too good. <laughs>